Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Easy Conversations Podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Daniel. In this week's episode, I welcome Dr. Heather Brown. Dr. Brown helps people recognize the power of communication. It is one of our most important skills, yet we don't consider our understanding, approach, and belief, and therefore miss our possibilities. Living with a paranoid schizophrenic mother gave Dr. Heather a unique and powerful awareness that no one has the same reality, though we believe we do. Utilizing this revolutionary awareness has allowed her to transform communication within herself and other relationships. This is the hidden key to acceptance, and this is her mission to share. As a relationship expert, Dr. Heather Brown has worked with thousands of individuals and couples in psychotherapy. She has been published in hundreds of journals, has an active YouTube channel, has been featured on ABC7 News, was a relationship expert on KDOC Daybreak OC, and has been published in Toronto Sun, Thriving Family Magazine, Light Plus Life, Brains, Scary Mommy, and Psychology Today. She is a regular guest blogger for both Links for Shrinks and Marriage Family Therapist. She has two books in the final stages of pre-publication and a TEDx speaker coming September 23. She offers a weekly newsletter packed with tips and techniques to improve relationships and has monthly workshops. In this episode, Dr. Brown and I highlight the importance of communication within the family system and how we sometimes fall into specific patterns and how we can consciously change those patterns. Just like many of our relationships, communication is crucial in the family system. Dr. Brown expands on her own experiences in her family and some things she focuses on around communication. Please check out Dr. Brown on her website, www.drheatherbrown.com. Great, Dr. Heather Brown, thank you for joining me on the Easy Conversation podcast. I'm really excited for our conversation tonight, and uh, I'm grateful that you took the opportunity to, to come on here. But before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and let the listeners know a little bit about what it is that you do and a little bit about yourself as well. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I am Dr. Heather Brown. I'm a psychotherapist, a coach, and a writer, and I live in Southern California, and I specialize in working on conscious, compassionate communication for couples, for organizations, for individuals, and then I also have a big specialty in grief and loss, and I'm kind of known on the side note for being someone to help people capture joy and sprinkle a little bit of fairy dust in lives. So that that's who I am. Amazing, amazing. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you about was obviously the whole aspect of communication. And you talk about conscious, compassionate communication. What does that look like? Well, I think we do communication um, poorly. Because I think we think of communication as words and my point and getting my way. And so I kind of flip communication on its head. Mm -hmm. And my point is it starts with connection. Right. So who this person is and 
why they're important to me and what I want the outcome to be, which then moves into compassion, mm-hmm. which is thinking about their concerns, their fears, their needs, their triggers. And then the third part is communication. And when you approach it in reverse, then you don't have the arguments, you don't have the fights. You still have some places where you got to work through and negotiate. But mm-hmm. if right. you are aware that the person and the relationship is important to you, you go into a conversation differently. Right, right. And we go into a conversation. I need to tell you that you do this and this pisses me off and I hate it. We're not thinking too much about the other person in that moment. Right, right. That downfall of most of our relationships. I like to say a conversation is a love letter. And it mm-hmm. can be every single time if you choose to use it that way. For sure, for sure. And I mean, just kind of building on that, like, you know, you see that a lot with couples or even family members that they do care for each other. But when emotions are at their height and we're triggered, we often want to just be heard and state whatever we're feeling or what we want, what our needs are, as you alluded to earlier. Um, But that obviously, to your point, is not the most healthiest form of communication. And there needs to be that more compassionate side of it and, and being consciously aware of the other person. So how can you, how can people who have these patterns of communication that they've built over a lifetime, uh, almost deprogram themselves and learn a new way? It, it is a deprogramming or a rewiring. Um, and to speak to what you, you said prior, I think you can cultivate a place that can work really well in that framework of, I am just going to listen. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit and listen to whatever it is you have to say. I want you to feel heard. To me, that comes out of compassion for the person you're speaking with. And then that also has a really different feel than you're going to listen to me, damn it, whether you want to or not. Right. There's a, there's a, an opening and a willingness that we don't recognize how important it is. I always use the analogy of Jesus because I think it's perfect. He knocks on the door. Right. He doesn't just scream and yell, push it down, squeeze underneath it, shove his way in. He knocks on the door. And if we open it up, then he says, and if we don't, he waits for another time. If Mm -hmm. we say, hey, he says, you know, could I come in and sit down with you? If we say no, he goes, okay, I'll try another time. And he goes away. And if we sit down and talk, then we sit down and talk. I think that's a perfect viewpoint of a relationship. Right. Yeah. So there is room to have one person speak. And I think there's a beautiful place, if this is someone that you know, that you have a conversation about that, even in your relationship, friendship, partner, boss, children, what have you. In my past, I didn't feel like I had a voice Mm. and my family didn't listen to me. So when we sit down, would you be okay with me? for three minutes talking uninterrupted just so I know I can get my feelings out. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. So we can have a lot of what we want as long as we present in a way that we help make it possible 
and we're not fighting against the other or devaluing them by making us bigger. N neither person needs to be bigger. Right. We both need to be heard. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, it's it's showing up as equals. Now, one of the things I do see with the people I work with is often they'll go in with those intentions, as you mentioned, to to listen with the hopes of being heard after. And if that's not reciprocated, they often get discouraged or, you know, the, the conversation ends up in conflict because the, the one individual went in having expectations. Well, I think that'd be a good place to say, you know, hey, we just spent quite a few minutes talking about what it is that's important to you. Before we move on to point number two, I, I would like to share my viewpoints as well. And if someone were to say to me, no, I don't care about your, your viewpoints, I would say, then I need to stop this conversation until you do. Right. Right. Sometimes we just don't want to hear the other person. Mm. And we need to own that. But then it's also important to recognize that they're not going to really listen to you if that's what you're presenting to them. Unless you're in a dynamic where like, it's a boss and and you know it's it's an employee and like no i'm just going to tell you what you need to do and you just need to nod your head and, and sign the form there's times where it's that but you want to be clear about what is the dynamic you have a lot of times you can have a different dynamic than you have had mm -hmm. simply by asking i remember one of the first times i did a group uh process and they had the the talking stick yeah and at first i thought dear lord are you kidding me like, I feel like I'm in elementary school. And within about three minutes, I realized the brilliance of it. Right. Because how many times do we interrupt? Or how many times do we think about what we're going to say and not just listen? And I know, even though, you know, I'm 59 years old, I still catch myself having my wheels starting to spin when I'm listening to someone thinking, Where, what's my brilliance next? Instead of just taking that time to say, Hmm. Let me really take in what you're expressing. Right. There's a there's a different quality. And I think we can all feel it, sometimes more so than others. If I'm listening and like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, hmm, what is it you're gonna say next? Hmm. Which that actually becomes the best conversation. Because right. then you're curious about what the other person is sharing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's I think that's an aspect of just active listening or or just being present in the moment. And this is where I was referring to earlier, where often people will listen, just waiting. They already have something to say, and they're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can get their point in. Right. And that's, um, I think to mitigate that there was some, you know, Carl Rogers talked about this way of making sure as a therapist, but I think you can even apply that in, your relationships is you don't move on until the other person actually feels like they've been heard, right? And that's through paraphrasing or whatever to make sure that you really captured the essence of what the other person was telling you before you move on from that conversation. Yes. And, and I think we think of a conversation a lot of times as kind of like stepping stones. Mm -hmm. But we're already on the next stone. 
yeah. before the person's finished talking. So we don't use it in that way, but that is really the best conversation. Oh, I'm going to talk about da 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 Oh, that's super cool. Hey, have you used that? And so it starts to turn into building blocks. Mm-hmm. But if I'm trying, if I'm trying to speak into something that you have said partially through, or even if I'm just listing and waiting for you to finish up so I can say my piece, I'm now going back to where you were earlier in the conversation. You finished somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do that. I'm probably going to say, hey, I want to pop back into something that you said because there was something I- I'd love to layer on. That then is still more respectful than not listening to what the person said at the end because you've got this incredible nugget that you want to share with them from what they said two minutes before. Right. So what do people do in those instances if, say, there's something that the other person said that triggers you and then you're completely stuck with that and you're not listening to anything else the other person is saying, as you said? You don't hear what they finish off with. What are people supposed to do when they feel triggered in that moment and the other person isn't done talking? Um, well, I would let the person, of course, finish. Mm-hmm. And then I'd probably say, you know, I got caught when you were talking about juice. And, and, and I was hoping it'd be okay we could talk about juice because I had this thought that I think is really important. And I'll be honest, kind of, I kind of lost you after that. So would it be okay for us to talk about juice? And then if there was something following that was really important, could you tell me again? Because I think my brain kind of shut down. Just own it. We all know we do it. So the person might be like, oh, I hate it when you don't listen to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, I get that. I really actually do listen most of the time. And this was just super important to me, but I do want to hear everything. So could you share the end? I had something that used to happen only with my daughter, but probably because I used to go into her bedroom first, my hope. I would go in in the morning and I'd say, hey, baby, time to get up. What would you like for breakfast? She totally talked. I'd nod my head and I'd walk into my son's room to ask him. And I'd think, did I listen? And I'd go back into her room and I'd say, I am so sorry. I, I know you answered. I don't, I don't know where I went, but I don't remember what you said. And she'd be like, oh, meal. Like, thank you. Got it. And then I would say it back. So for me, I just own it. Yeah. Or, yeah. or if someone's talking about something, you get it to a certain point and then they're going, you're lost. If they're open to you saying, hey, could I, could I ask you a quick question? Like, you got me until green, but I don't know what blue is. Right. C- could you explain blue? Because I'm not, I'm not following what you're saying. Some people would rather have you not. Mm-hmm. I want to have that question. Like, if I get lost at some point in a tech question, can I interrupt? Or do you prefer me to not? And then I would just say, like, I'm so sorry to say this, but you got to go all the way back to the beginning of blue. And then maybe eventually they're going to say, could you just let me know when you get lost? Right. I have that agreement with friends or or people I work with, uh, clients too. I'm like, at any point you get lost, let me know. I'd rather have somebody say, hey, lost, and then fix it than 
go on for three minutes thinking they're fine and then right. realize I have to explain the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's such an important uh, thing to bring up that you've mentioned there is having those agreements with the people we communicate with, whether it's it's our partners or our family members or even colleagues. It's that's important because some people don't want to be interrupted. Yes. And it's good to understand that. And uh, that's something definitely I can focus on in the future too, but having those agreements. And I think it's crucial, especially in our romantic relationships where you can have those agreements and be like, Hey, how are we going to communicate? And do you want me to interrupt you and tell you that I'm lost or, or I'm triggered, like you said, right. And, and owning it and, and perhaps not going down a rabbit hole and then coming back and saying, I never heard anything you said, which can uh, often have other unintended consequences. Well, and I think you just talk about something that's really important. Does the person really understand? To a mm -hmm. certain extent, we never know. Right. And so I try to, I try to not, though I should say I probably do it all the time, but I try to not ask that question. Like, did you understand me? Because they're going to say most likely yes. And then I think that means they did, but it right. doesn't necessarily. So to me, it's better to, to say something like, what of that did you understand? Or was there a part that was confusing to you? Or mm -hmm. like, this is really important. So could you repeat back what it is that I did say? Mm -hmm. Especially for people who maybe are a little bit ADD or mm -hmm. ADHD or anxious. Keeping track of layered aspects is important. And once again, it, it's important just to own your stuff. I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I have not yet mastered the skill of counting and listening. And mm -hmm. my kids used to know, and they used to love to pester me because I'd be counting and they'd start talking. I'd be like, one, two, because I couldn't do it. And I'd literally write down three and put it on the stack. And I'd say like, okay, I'm just going to listen. Yeah, My brain doesn't wire that way. I don't know why. But I've had to learn it. And so if someone's talking to me and I'm counting, I need to stop counting or I need to say, I am so sorry, but I can't count and listen at the same time. My brain doesn't work that way. Could you wait until I'm done since you want me to get the counting done first? Yeah. It, it's important that you let people know and you feel a little silly doing that. You know, I'm, I'm 59 years old. I can't count and listen, but I truly can't. So it's better to know that I know if you list things, I have to write it. Yeah. Yeah. I well, have and that's such another important distinction. I think the whole notion of multitasking and trying to communicate at the same time. Right. And I, I know sometimes my son will be trying to talk to me and if I'm on my phone, I'm not listening to him. Right. I'm not paying attention because I'm distracted and it does irritate him because he's like, did you hear me? <laughs> and I think that is, important thing too because if we're communicating with someone you know obviously people have a better understanding that you should put your phone away but sometimes you're sitting on your phone texting and while the other person is talking or you're daydreaming while the other person is talking and perhaps thinking about all the things you need to do the next day or how you have deadlines coming up that is <laughs> something to keep in mind because I think 
most people, myself for sure, I'm guilty of it at times where if it's a longer conversation, my mind will wander and I'll start daydreaming. You know, I just picture myself. Yeah, I would just say you lost me. Yeah. You lost me there. And there's the place also of recognizing, is is this a good time for the other person? If I'm... I'm a widow, but I would oftentimes go into the office when my husband would be on the computer and I would start talking. And then I realized one time, like, what if he's in the middle of something important? And I would say, hey, can you listen to me for a second? He'd say, yeah. And he'd be like typing away. I'm like, no, I want your eyes. He's like, no, I got this. I got this. I'm like, I want your eyes. Mm. And so I'd say, when's a good time so I can have your full attention? Mm -hmm. And then we would meet an hour later, a half an hour later. And we'd have the eye contact and I'd tell him why this is important to me. And he'd say, okay, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. We miss a lot because we're simply talking. Ted used to say to me, he used to say, should I be listening to this? And I would just start cracking up. I'm like, I guess not. Cause I hadn't made it clear that he right. shouldn't listening. That's on me. That's not on him. Just cause my voice starts. Like, why does he have to listen to my voice from the kitchen? Like, it's such a weird thing that we think because I'm talking, therefore you must listen. Unless you never, ever talk on your own. Like, I would talk on the phone or I'd talk to the dog or I'd talk to our kids or so I could have been talking to a ton of people. But Mm -hmm. there's the place of, is this a good time for you? Right. I've got five minutes that I need to explore something with you. There's also the piece that I think is critical that we people don't do, which is what is the outcome that you want from this conversation? We would mm-hmm. change conversations like hugely if you would ask yourself that. If you go to a car dealership, you've already researched it. You know how much the car is. You know they have it on the lot. You've already probably called your insurance company to see how much your insurance company is going to be. You've got the bank loan procured. Like you're all set. You just don't walk on the lot and say, give me a car. But yet that's what we do in a conversation. So if you think about what's the outcome I want, about half your conversations you wouldn't have. I wouldn't, if I wanted my husband to adore me and love me and care for me, walking into his room saying like, what the hell have you done? Yeah. Probably not the best way to get them to feel that way. Well, why do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think Part of it is what, at least what I've come to understand is we're just, we're afraid to be vulnerable, right? And, and, or, or even, yeah. And through vulnerability, we're afraid of rejection. What if the other person says no? Uh, We're probably never had the, we've probably never given the skills or the tools to be able to ask for what we need. And in some cases, people don't even know what they want or need, right? All they feel is this aspect something that triggered them or upset them and they're focused on that one little thing rather than reflecting on what is underlying that emotion or feeling that obviously that one incident perhaps triggered deeper emotions and feelings and we often don't take that time to sit with it and explore it ourselves first and then we expect the other person to fix it or or just know or have a magic answer and I think that's at least what I've come to understand. And it's been the case in my own personal experiences too, where I was just too afraid to be vulnerable or or just didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. Can we change that? Can we change vulnerability from being something that feels 
scary and risky to open. Something that I'm trying to explore with my clients right now. So it's, yeah. it's really fun that you brought that up because most of us view vulnerable as like, I'm putting my heart out on a silver platter and you might destroy it. Mm -hmm. Instead of if I make vulnerable, I'm open to you. I'm accessible. I'm sharing. Are you now willing to step in? If I get a no, then I'm not going to go and reach out. But we can do it all in one move. Mm -hmm. And I think, gosh, isn't that a little silly? Mm -hmm. If I'm open and, and see if you then are willing, then we step in and then we've got mutuality because then you're stepping in, I'm stepping in. Instead right. of me kind of overstepping the threshold. Mm -hmm. And there's the place of, us knowing that, yeah, of course we want what we want. So does the other person. I'm of the belief that most people in the world, you can call me Pollyanna. I think most people in the world really are good people who have good hearts, of course. who really want to love others mm -hmm. and want to be loved. Yeah, absolutely. So when you don't get it back in the way that you want. I don't think it's most likely that the person doesn't want to love you. I think it's more so what you're asking is uncomfortable for them or they don't know how to come through or maybe in that place yet. Right. But in our head, we twist it and we make it, oh, you're rejecting me. You don't want me. You don't love me. If you don't do it my way, then you don't love me. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking a bigger picture of it, which is they've got their own needs, desires, wants, ways of connecting. And how do we dance this together better instead right. of me just taking over, you know, the, the tango? For sure. For sure. And I mean, I think there's many layers to that, too. Right. I think part of it is our perspective is fairly narrow and limited. So we often approach things based on to your point, our wants and desires and needs. And we're not, I guess we kind of get stuck in that tunnel vision of not being able to understand in the moment that the other person has their own approach and own perspective. And perhaps their view of the world is distorted based on their own childhood experiences or life experiences. And uh, the other thing I try to work with people and remind myself too, is if I'm being vulnerable, that is a choice I'm making because that's the way I want to live my life. And that's where I feel in alignment and feel authentic. But if the other person isn't able to give it to me or, or not be able to accept it, that's perhaps something they're dealing with or struggling with that has nothing to do with me being vulnerable. Um, and I think in the past, I approached it as, oh, this is rejection. Now I'm going to close myself off and then no one gets to see this side. And what I've come to realize is that's just me choosing to suffer and, and punish myself because someone else isn't there. Well, and withdrawing from something that you gave that's really precious and beautiful, mm -hmm. sometimes just staying in that place and saying, is there anything I could do to make you feel a little safer right. to step in with me? Because I'd really like or just know, like, I can be here with you. Right. So down the road, you're willing. 
I'd I'd like to find ways to be safe with you. If you if you if you find about the out about the person's childhood attachment styles are a really helpful way mm-hmm. to understand how some people show up in the world. Um, you hear about them a lot right now. They've been yeah. it's been around forever, but it really is a great guide to yeah. understand why we act some of the ways that we do and. We tend to believe the person who acts differently than we do, it's out of their own inability to mm. manage themselves well. Like if somebody's anxious and nervous because of their childhood, we look at them like, oh, like they just don't have their act together. And to a certain extent, it's true, but it's also a learned behavior. Right. And it takes a little while to learn how to show up in the world differently. And so there's beautiful places of supporting someone as they move out of that old patterning that maybe they've had to live in or they've chosen to live in for yeah. most of their life. But you present a different opportunity. That's sacred soil right. when you find someone who will stay with you as you right. walk through those components. And you see it at work, too. You see it with the person who's avoidant. You see it with the person who's anxious. You see it with the person who is hot and cold. You don't quite know how to figure out, like, are they coming through? Are they not coming through? So attachment styles is something that I always encourage people to explore a little bit and find out. For sure. And just to plug, I'll I'll be doing an episode on attachments, too, (laughs) uh, very soon. Yeah, yeah. So uh, listeners can check that one out, too. But and, and that's so important. And I think. Part of the struggle is what I try to focus on too is is do, do have that look inwards, right? Do the work on yourself, heal yourself, and if you're emotionally integrated, then you have a better handle on situations around you. And if perhaps other people aren't, then you can have, to your point, as you mentioned earlier, compassion for them, and and give them that space. But then you're not taking it personally. Um, the, the other thing we touched on briefly, we didn't really explore further, was the idea of boundaries, right? And often people I'm working with, they're always worried. They're like, well, if I'm going to communicate with my family member and they say this or say that or, or gaslight me or do this, I don't know how I will respond. I'm like, well, that's an opportunity for you to set boundaries. And I think a lot of people struggle with boundaries which is something I've also covered here, but in communication, what are some ways people can go in with a compassionate and open conversation, but also be able to state their boundaries without fear of offending the other person? Well, we can't quite predict if we're going to offend another person ever because that's a person's choice even if we had absolutely no intention fair enough right so we can say that like i want to share something and i really hope it's received well i mean it with what i would say to people is do i have permission to to share something that i think might be insightful and yes i'd say i do want you to know that i'm sharing this with love Right. My clients kind of go, oh, I'm like, yeah, but I want to wait till they're in that place of knowing I'm not trying to hurt them. And I'm not saying I'm right. 
I'm just sharing something that I've happened to perceive, which I think might be helpful. Um, you also can look at it a little differently, though it is still a boundary. But I think there's a way we can approach it because boundary for a lot of people now is a triggering word. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to take care of me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of me. And so if something happens and I need to take care of me, I will. If I say my boundary is this, my boundary is this, my boundary is this, my boundary is this. A lot of times we can get some discord from the right. other person of, my God, you're so controlling or why do I have to do it your way? So it's still a boundary. Like I won't tolerate someone screaming and yelling at me. That is a boundary that I have, but I approach it differently by saying, this doesn't feel safe for me. So I'm going to withdraw right now until we can talk more calmly. Instead of, you broke my boundary. We tend to go on the attack and the defense mm -hmm. instead of the personal care and protection. And that is a place I know I'm very different than most therapists and coaches. My view is my responsibility is to me and to care for me and to make certain in any situation that I do what I need to do to take care of myself and right. not cause injury to another person. And if For I sure. do it that way, it's more fluid hmm. and not quite so rigid. And it also leaves me out of that fear mode of, are you going to cross me? Are you going to cross me? You better be listening mm -hmm. because now I'm putting my power in you. Right. And I might love you dearly, but I really need to keep my power within me because only I know if I'm triggered. So it can clean it up quite a bit to just say, I will take care of myself. And, and if I feel overly emotional or I start to realize I'm getting mad inside or I'm starting to look at you poorly, I'm going to step out for a couple of minutes, clear my head, make certain my heart's open to you, and then I'll step back in. And most right. people are like, really? And then you up-level in conversation. Because then if you're saying something to me that's pissing me off, making me angry, I'm getting defensive, instead of me stepping further into that, I can take a break and say, whoa, so don't like this energy. What's going on? Like I've done something or said something or that person's triggered with something that's making them come at me. I better find out what that is first. So then I would go back and I'd say, hey, I, I stepped out because I was feeling uncomfortable and I'm picking up your mad at me for something, but I really don't know why. Could you share with me like what's happened? I don't take responsibility for what I do not believe is mine. However, I'll explore anything. Like right. it could be yours. Right. And that can help you move through those difficult places a lot easier. But I don't make anybody responsible for making me be safe. As much as possible, I make that my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then that way, I can stay so much longer. Right. Because it's right. up to me to decide, okay, like, enough now. Let me go take care of whatever I need to do to come back and, and meet you once again.
Right. Yeah. And I think to your point also, first of all, not taking or giving your responsibility away for you feeling safe, but also, as you mentioned, not making the other person responsible for you being triggered. Right. And that's important too. And and I often people feel like, oh, you triggered me. It's like, well, I just said something that was my truth. And if that triggers you, then I'm sorry, but that's not my responsibility. Right. And, and I think we often get caught in those, um, I guess we lose focus from the conversation and get caught in some of those details. Well, I think it's a big part of our society that we so odd in some ways and we're so complex but we want to blame the other person for when they're not acting the way that we want them to act yeah and so you know you made me mad and it's your fault because you made me mad and i get that i'd love to make the world responsible for every single time i have any you know misbehavior on my part but it's my feeling Right. And it's my thought, and I chose to go there. I cannot react, or I can react. Now, I've worked on myself my whole life, so I'm pretty good at it. But when I feel something with somebody that is strong or powerful, what I realize is, What's what's going on is something's being tapped with inside of me that mm -hmm. I'm not good with. I've seen people do like crazy things out in the world and I'll look at them and I'll be like, my God, why would they ever do that? No trigger. None. And then someone will say something like, you know, to their kid, like, You're such a loser. I like wish you were never born. And I'm like, <laughs> inside. And that comes from from you know me yeah and i have to own that like i'm triggered because there's a part of me that isn't quite healed there yet and that mama bear protection comes out i have to own that somebody else would be like oh all parents talk to their kids that way she probably didn't mean just having a bad day like that might not be my response so anytime i have a really strong emotional reaction i look at myself and say okay what's going on that that person's doing that you don't like in yourself or you've worked on right. really hard to change in yourself because you're judging that person right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you're judging another, you are out of line. Right. You are. And you're not in reality because now you're making the other person wrong. And as soon as we make the other person wrong, we're an ego and we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I love that. Thank you for building on that. And one of the other things I wanted to explore with you just kind of staying with boundaries. I often see a lot of people will withdraw because they're like, well, this person's violating my boundaries. They'll avoid the communication of that. So they'll withdraw. They'll be like, oh, I'm just going to like silence myself and pull back and, and they'll just get it. And it's like, well, mm, my challenge back to people like that is, well, no, you're not really communicating to them why you're withdrawing so they don't really know all they know is you're kind of pulling away and it's not really fair to the other person because you're not giving them an opportunity to even apologize and own it and do better next time but i think there's that again fear 
of vulnerability there to even express your boundary or give the other person an opportunity. Well, if you don't, then it's going to happen again. So if you didn't right. like it the first time, it's pretty smart to tell the other person. And they might say, I do not care. And then mm. I'm going to have a different conversation. Like, what? Like, you don't care about my feelings at all? And if I get back up, no. Then I'm going to say that I can't have this conversation with you. This doesn't change. I don't think we can really be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. I, need, I need to be important, too. Right. So thinking the other person's going to get it or thinking you're, like, making a point yeah. You might be, or the other person might be, oh, I'm so glad they shut up. Good, it's done. Oh, sometimes when someone's not talking, the person's viewpoint is it's resolved. Right. They're not like we're talking. I guess, I guess we're all good. Awesome. I won't bring it up again. And now you've got this big topic that we can't talk about. And the person who is was withdrew is scared to step back in. The other person's not going to bring it up because they think it's resolved. And now it's this huge avoided thing. So what I tell people all the time is you might not get what you want. You might not. But at least you've got something to work with. Right. If you don't bring it up, you don't have anything to work with. If, if I think I have cancer and I say, well, I'm, yeah, mm, I'm just never going to go to the doctor because, like, I don't, I don't want that. So I'll just never go. Right. Cancer growing inside me. It's right. not. If I had it. Right. So it'd be better for me to find out and know what I can do. And mm -hmm. you may get someone that says, I can't be in relationship with you if, you if this is really how you think or you feel. This is what you want. Right. But if it's what you think, want, or feel, and you need that, you, you, you feel, then maybe they're not your person. And And to your point, you know, using that cancer analogy, what typically happens is it's resentment that grows inside of you. Like, and, and that just kills you. Right. And it erodes the relationship and you're just angry at the other person and it's just bad. And, and sticking with the whole idea of resentment, I think that's why communication is so important because if we don't communicate our needs, wants, or, or even our boundaries, or our desires, we end up having resentment because for whatever reason, we expect the other person to just understand or, or we just have this anger towards them because we're not able to speak our truth, which is a choice we're making our own, on, our, on our own. Well, think about what resentment is. I wanted something from you and you didn't come through. So I'm mad at you. And so instead of working it out or figuring out maybe you can't do it or how do we do it, I'm going to stay mad at you that you didn't come through for me before. Mm. Now, how are you going to come through for me now? Probably pretty poorly because I'm already mad at you from what you didn't do before. Now, right. I'm also mad at you that you're still not coming through now. You're like loading it up. Yeah. And so with the person who then finally comes through, then they're in this negative void of, well, but did it. I'll hear a lot of my office a little too late. And I'm like, no, if they come through ever, it's success. It doesn't mean you possibly 
stay in a relationship, but they've come through. And this is, it's so funny to me. People will say, but why do I have to keep bringing it up? And I'm like, because it's not happening. Right. And like, yeah, but it should be happening. I'm like, but it's, it's not. So you've got to keep bringing it up until it's happening and then you won't need to bring it up. But until it happens, you got to keep bringing it up because it's important to you. Absolutely. Resentment. I mean, we all do it at times. It just hurts us. It just hurts us from resolving what we need to feel loved. And we make the person like a culprit. Not only did you not come through for me now, like who you are is somebody like I'm pissed off at all the time because you didn't come through for me. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's important because the other piece is we have to recognize and have this level of humility that even we don't know what we want at times. We're figuring ourselves out and to expect someone else who's also figuring themselves out to know what we want is just the recipe for disaster. Right. And to your, and it comes back, full circle with the whole notion of compassion that having that compassion for each other and trying to figure it out together um, is so crucial. Otherwise you have all these issues and and resentments, obviously a huge one and lack of communication can be another one, but without compassion, it's hard to move forward and and build on those things. It just won't be as great a relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't have compassion for your partner. It just can't be as good a relationship going forward. And a lot of people will say, but if I have to tell you what I want, then it doesn't mean as much. And I'm like, oh my gosh, baloney. If you have to tell them because they haven't come through for you and they listen, and this is something that they don't ever do but they're willing to come through for you because it's important to you, that is so much more of an act of love than if I just easily remember. Mm-hmm. I easily remember like you're blessed. But if it's something that's so foreign to me, I think, oh my gosh, I have to remember to do this because it's so important to them. Please let me do it well. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's significant. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also having compassion for if they fall short or don't get it right the first time or it could take several tries because it's a muscle they're training, right? And it's holding compassion for them in those moments too. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be with your partner. It could be with family members too, right? Or, Or colleagues for that matter. We used to do that in my house. I used to say to my kids and my husband, Every month, we'd sit down and I'd say, tell me where I've loved you really, really well. And then tell me where I'm messing it up. And I was able to do whatever they'd say. And so every month, I kept doing what they asked. And every month, I tried to apply what I wasn't doing. And I remember one time my daughter said to me, you're a martyr. And I went, oh, God, I've been a martyr my my whole friggin' life. Oh, my mother was a martyr. This is going to be so hard. I'm going to suck. Like yeah. I'm preparing you. I will work on this because this is ugly and you're right. And thank you for being honest with me, but this is going to be brutal. It took me nine months to not be a martyr for a month. Right. Every month I'd come to her, I'm like, it's better, but I still am. She's like, yeah, but mom, you keep trying. 
And on the ninth month, I came to her and I said, ah, I wasn't a martyr. I don't think I was a martyr. And she started crying. And I went, no, what did I miss? And she said, no, you weren't a martyr. Like, why are you crying? She said, because you love me so much. You worked so hard to change something that I didn't like. And my heart just burst. To me, that's what compassion is. Now, she wasn't asking me to do something that wasn't going to be good for me. Right. Right. Because I probably wouldn't have been as committed if it wasn't. Like, please yeah. always wear pink or something. But not being a martyr, that's a good thing for someone who loves you to ask you to level up. So in my household, my kids are grown, but still in our little, our three brown scooters, we have the commitment that we will help each other be better than we are whenever the other person is open to it. Mm -hmm. And we challenge each other. And I'm so grateful for that. I look at a challenge as a gift. You're mm -hmm. telling me you see me being even better than I already am. Bring it. I don't look at it as a criticism or a critique. I look at it as, wow, I can be even more awesome in a couple months. I can love you even better. Why would I not want to do that? We look right. at it all wrong. Your partner yeah. says, please do this. And we're like, oh, why should I have to do that? What they're really saying is, I could feel so much more loved by you if this was right. something you would think about. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, to your point, I, it goes both ways too, right? I think it's also how it's being delivered. It's like, here's an opportunity for you to love me better or, or you know, this is something I would like you to work on rather than being like, oh, this is how you messed up again or or whatever. Then it's hard for the other person to receive it, right? And as we know, if you criticize, it's easy to get defensive. So, well, um, criticize or request. Right. Like, you know which one's going to go better. Yeah. And just because the person hasn't ever done it doesn't mean they're wrong. It means they haven't ever done it. Mm -hmm. And so you're asking something of them that's not of them. That's a big, asking me to not be a murderer was a big request. Right. But it was possible in time. Yeah, yeah. And then she didn't beat me up each month. Like, right. I was the one beating myself up more. But she's like, "Your mom, it's much less. It's much less. I'm like, but it's still here. She's like, yeah, but it's less. It's less. So if you decide to be each other's cheerleader, whether yeah. it's parent to kid or friend and friend or partner and partner, boss and employee, you can be each other's cheerleader and or coach and support and grow but when you tell somebody else they're wrong it's just not received well because most people are trying pretty hard yeah absolutely. and yeah do we screw up of course but that doesn't mean we didn't try that doesn't mean like we got it completely. Maybe we didn't quite. I used to say, I used to say to myself when, when Ted would do something that I, I couldn't understand, I'd be like, okay, 
you know he you know he would never want to hurt you like i know that i know that could it be that he forgot or maybe he didn't understand or maybe he's being selfish or he misinterpreted it could it be anything other than he wants to hurt you I always went to yes, and I'd get frustrated that he forgot a lot of stuff, but forgetting is very different than I want to hurt you. There's something else that I tell my clients. If the person isn't trying to intentionally hurt you, I think you need to question why you're letting yourself feel hurt. And I use this with couples a lot, and they're like, wait, what? I'm like, if he's not trying to hurt you, if he's not trying to hurt you, why are you going to, why are you not going to frustrated, irritated, disappointed, bummed? Mm -hmm. You hurt me means like you jabbed me. If that wasn't the intent, I don't think it's a correct response. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also how you frame it too, right? You could feel yes. all of those things. You could feel hurt too, but you, you can be hurt about the, the outcome or the situation, but not because of what the person did, right? It, there's a difference between saying you hurt me or saying I'm hurt because of this outcome. Eckhart totally does this like beautifully. He'll, instead of saying I am angry, what he says is, oh, I'm aware of a feeling of anger within me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I kind of go like, whoa, what? But it does a couple of things. Gives you a separation, which I think can be very helpful. It reminds you it's a temporary situation. And the thing about him that I think is phenomenal is it doesn't make it your personhood. Not I am angry, but... I'm experiencing feelings of anger right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. It's not necessarily who I am as a person. Now, there's times we might want to. I am. If you're in one of those moods, take it. Yeah. But I don't think we always need to. With anxiousness, it's huge. And anxiety, oh, I'm aware of some feelings of anxiousness right now. Not, I'm so scared to be anxious. Right. It allows you a little bit more movement. It lets you be a little bit more the author of your story than the right. victim of your story. Right, right. And and you're also not attaching yourself to the emotion. It's something you're experiencing. It's not who you are. Yes. Um, and I think that's important too. But yeah, I mean, Heather, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. We could go on for a while, but you've also given me a lot of tidbits to reflect on. So I appreciate that as always. And uh, for listeners that do want to get a hold of you or find you, what are some ways they can do that, whether it's online or, or social media? So the probably the easiest place is my website and it's www.drheatherbrowne.com. So Dr. Heather Brown, without any periods, and Brown has an E. And on that, it has my TikTok, my YouTube, my, you know, my email list, my workshops, everything's on there. Um, and we can obviously put it in the show notes too. My yes. link has everything as well. So I'll provide that for you. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'll throw that in the show notes. But thank you again so much for coming on here and having this conversation with me. Absolutely an honor. I'd love to come again sometime and keep me posted. If any listeners have any questions, I'm always open to questions that they have. Amazing. We'll definitely keep you in the loop. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode with Dr. Heather Brown. Please subscribe to the podcast if you already haven't done so. And please leave a review or a comments in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Until next week.